Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Jaguars podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your co-host Phil Smith, aka Phil the Filipino, and as always, I am joined by the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire. His name is James Johnson. Jay, super excited to be back with you this week. Had a lot of fun with our buddy Eric, and now we're just going to jump into a lot more uh, Jaguar-related topics. So how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, man. I appreciate you asking. Uh, Yeah, man, last week's episode was one hour best, man. I I keep saying that. Um, I know I said it on Twitter. um, What was it, last week or something or whatever the case may be, but it truly was, man. I enjoyed that episode. And yeah, ready to put together another quality episode this week as we have some more quality topics to speak on. That's right, guys. So we're not going to waste too much of your time. We're going to get right into it. Of course, we hope that wherever you are, you are safe and, um, you know, just healthy and wearing your mask. Of course, not sure why that's such a controversial topic right now, but take care of yourself. Take care of others. Before we get started, we want to thank everybody that's gone over to Apple Podcasts and left us a five star review as well as all of those comments. That is one of the best ways to support the show. So if you are enjoying our content, please head over there and drop a review. Along with Apple Podcasts, we are also on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com as part of the Believe Podcast Library and at Believe Podcasts. You can tweet the show at Believe in Jags Pod over on Twitter. You can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. So Jay, no quick hits this week. We're just going to jump right into our main topics. And we would be, you know... We would be remiss if we did not bring up Madden because you and I are both avid gamers. Now, I think you told me off air you haven't really purchased a Madden game in quite some time, but I buy it every single year. But even though you haven't been actively playing, you're still very familiar what goes on in the community. And of course, this past week, the Madden ratings came out and that led to a lot of discussion, most of it surrounding Rob Gronkowski, who is a 95 somehow. Uh, Jay, I don't know how you feel about that. We can discuss that here in a moment, but let's talk about some of the Madden ratings. So, Jay, uh, I think you have them up there in front of you. What were some of the ratings that stuck out specifically for Jaguar players? So, yeah, um, and I wrote about this. Actually, uh, this was one of the first things I touched on in the um, article I published that uh, pretty much had the Madden ratings courtesy of Madden School, which Jen Jag got from them. Shout outs to them. And then it was confirmed, of course, by EA Sports official site. But the first standout to me, I mean, it's clear cut and dry. The the person that's at the top of the list with the top rating is Brandon Linder with an 87. And it's kind of odd to see a offensive lineman. I mean, I, I think you would know probably more about this than me because you play Madden. Um, and I used to be a heavy, hardcore Madden guy, but... Uh, as of lately, I haven't been, as you said, but yeah, it's kind of rare to see an offensive lineman lead the way. Uh, but it is, uh, I think it's finally time for Brandon Linder to start getting his due. Me and you did put him on Dave Caldwell's list of top draft picks. So we think highly of him. And it looks like, you know, the people of Madden at least have been paying attention to him and what he's been doing on the field. So that one stood out to me. And then even below him at the, um, the number two spot. Josh Lambeau. I mean, I don't know where the other kickers rank, but by today's Madden standard, I guess you could say this pretty that's a pretty good rating for a kicker. Uh, they gave him like a lot of high reviews in terms of his attributes. And we'll actually talk about attributes um, later in this segment uh, with some other players. But 
Oh, uh, yeah, it looks like the Jaguars, at least, you know, if it comes down to a game-winning field goal, you got somebody who can get the job done and Josh Lambeau from that perspective. And then, like, with the um, the top 10 ratings in general, I guess I'll talk about those. Is What, what I notice here is it looks like the Jaguars' strength, if you're going to play with the Jaguars, and don't get me wrong, they probably are at the bottom of the total pole as a team in terms of overall ratings, so you're going to have some difficulties difficulties matching up with other teams probably but when you look at the front seven it looks like that's the strength of this team because all of their or a lot of their players that are within the front seven and starters at that are guys that are in the 80s and that have your higher ratings because the Jaguars actually don't have anybody in the 90s so we're talking about people like uh Miles Jack who's going to be playing weak side linebacker uh, Josh Allen, who's probably going to start unless Yannick Ngakwe comes back. But even if he does come back, Josh Allen will see a lot of time. Uh, Joe Schobert within that front seven. And Yannick Ngakwe himself uh, with an 83 in that. And by the way, Schobert had an 82. Uh, Allen had an 81. And Miles Jack had an 81. So to me, that means that that's the strength of this team is the front seven of the defense. And then also cracking the top 10 was D.D. Westbrook. And uh, DJ Chark. Chark had an 81, D.D. Westbrook with a 79. So it looks like Gardner Minshew will have two good receivers to throw to as well. Um, In addition to Leonard Fournette, who has the third best grade or the fourth best grade, um, if I'm not mistaken, with an 83. So uh, it looks like Minshew has some decent weapons to utilize around him. His ratings himself weren't all that great. I think he got a 70. I think they could have done a little better there. Uh, but yeah, to me, when I look at this team, that looks to be the strength is the front seven on the defense and, uh, you know, the receiving weapons that Gardner Minshew has in addition to Leonard Fournette. Yeah, Jay, and to kind of piggyback on what you were saying about Josh Lambeau, he actually has the second highest rating for kickers in the game right behind Justin Tucker. And we all know how great Justin Tucker is. Of course, he went to the greatest university in the country, University of Texas. That is my 100 percent non-biased opinion. Uh, but no, Josh Lambeau has been pretty much automatic since getting to Jacksonville. So I think it's pretty fitting that he is the second highest rating on the team. I'm also with you there, Jay, as far as Brandon Linder. To my recollection, he's been rated pretty solidly for the last few Maddens. Um, I can't remember what he started off last year as far as Madden 20, but I know he was still in the 80s. But again, as you mentioned, it seems like they're paying attention to the Jags, at least on that front. Yannick Ngakwe being an 83. Now, granted, you and I have already talked about this, so we're not going to talk about it too much more today. Yannick Ngakwe's rating has always been kind of baffling to me. I think he started off last year's Madden as an 81. And as far as his production and his play on the field, I think he's always warranted at least somewhere closer to the high 80s, maybe even at least a 90 rating. So I've always been baffled that he's never been able to crack that. I definitely agree with you as far as Gardner Minshew probably should be higher than a 70. I think what that is attributed to is he's still a relative unknown. Yeah, he definitely showed flashes, but it seems like maybe the people that are in charge of ratings at Madden have some of the same doubts that I do. However, I think that will change as the season goes on. So we pointed out some of the individual rankings here for the Jags, Jay, that leaves the team at a 78 overall team rating. Uh, The offense was given a rating of 79. The defense came in with a 77. What do you think about that? Too high, too low, just about right? What what do you think? 
Uh, yeah, I think that's about right. I mean, I guess you can make the argument that they could be a little lower and I don't know where they rank in terms of overall, in terms of comparing them to the other teams, but that's about right. And at worst, you know, maybe a few points lower than that. Uh, but yeah, that seems about right. When you look at these individual rankings, which we already talked on, uh, it seems like definitely the offense like I said, between the weapons they got on the outside with the receivers in Chark and Westbrook, uh, that would definitely help them. And again, Leonard Fournette, of course, uh, is what, like I said, top four ranked on the team, as well as uh, two guys. I Well, one guy I forgot to mention was Andrew Norwell, who, you know, love him or hate him. Madden actually has him rated pretty high in terms of for the Jags, at least. I think he's a 84 or something like that. He basically has the same grade as Fournette. So between those guys I just mentioned, Minshew, Fournette, uh, Linder, and Norwell, and the two receivers, Chark and Westbrook, uh, you're looking at, what, five guys right there that's in the top 10 ratings for the team. So it makes sense that they would be a 79, so that averages out about right. And then for the defense, uh, yeah, as you said, the 77, that's about right for them too because they don't have as many of their individual players rated in the top 10 that on that are on the defensive side, aside from the guys that I mentioned, which was Schobert, Miles Jack, uh, Yannick Ngakwe, as you mentioned, and Josh Allen. I believe come the end of the year, the defense will be rated higher as far as the ratings go. Um, then the offense, that kind of alludes to one of Eric's hot takes from last week where he said that he feels like the defense has a chance to surprise some people and end up somewhere in the top 15 as far as rankings for the NFL uh, for defense in the NFL I should say I just think there are a lot of underrated playmakers of course starting with Josh Allen I've stated here on the show Jay I think Joe Schobert is going to be an absolute stud in this defense and Miles Jack reverting back to his you know natural position on the field I think is only going to help him so when it's all said and done, I wouldn't be just surprised to see if the uh, the defense is ranked a little higher come the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you mentioned that, that did make me realize. I think, yeah, because, you know, the luxury in video games today and me and you come from an era where we were playing Sega Saturns and well, even below that, it was like Sega Genesis. And I had the first uh, NES console, the gray, the gray one. Um, but. The thing about it is now we have the luxury of where you can go online or pretty much when you turn your game on, it'll update the ratings and so on and so forth. It might take a little bit, but not that long. But I think in the end, you're right about the defense. They can be bumped up uh, as well as the offense. But I think the defense will be more likely to get bumped up because when you look at what I think like Caleb Vaughn can be at the end of the season and what. Henderson could be at the end of the season. They are rated in the 70s. I think they could be, you know, just by comparison, look at where Josh Allen was when he was drafted and look where he is now. He's he's in the lower 80s. I think Caleb Vaughn could be an example of that, at least hit the 80 mark or, or something like that. And I think the same could be applied for Henderson, too, who is actually rated. And I wrote about this, too, as the highest corner rookie corner in the game. He's tied with Jeff Okuda. So, you know, some people can make some arguments there, but I guess it came down to the athleticism as, you know, we talked about with Daniel Jeremiah is he's 
more of an athlete than Okuda, but Okuda is the overall better corner. So I guess Madden just saw it as like, let's just give them um, just an even slate with each other. And then, you know, maybe the attributes will be a little different in certain areas and so on and so forth. But I think Henderson could be an 80 as well, too. And I think like with those two, because they are two first round picks, that will help bump the Jaguars up defensively. And you know what, Jay, we haven't even talked about who is going to be the highest riser in terms of rankings on this. And that's going to be Josh Oliver. If you missed last week, I predicted that Josh Oliver is going to lead the team in touchdown receptions. And I will also make this public knowledge here. I said it to Jay and Eric. If Josh Oliver does bring my prediction to fruition, I will go out and purchase a Josh Oliver jersey. So Josh, if you're hearing this, I believe in you, buddy. I I think you're going to go out there. He is currently rated as a 67 and you know, he only got to play, uh, I believe, the last three weeks of the season, finished with maybe three catches, something along those lines. So I think he's going to have a lot to prove this year. And we'll actually get to that here in just a moment. One thing I want to say real quick, add Taven Bryan into that, too. Taven Bryan's rating is going to go up from a 74, which actually, you know, you could argue that Taven might be more of a 76 than a 74, but. Taven Bryan could be a guy that's in that same field with Josh Oliver, uh, where his rating could go up too. Uh, but you know, time will tell. Yeah, the argument can definitely be made that Taven played higher than a seventy-four by the end of the year, and we touched on that last week, Jay, where you pointed out he was having a much better season than people wanted to give him credit for. So I, I definitely think he should be on the list as well as possible guys that can uh, rise through the ranks here in terms of their Madden rating when it's all said and done. But the last thing we wanted to talk about here is who has uh, some of the top attributes on the team, specifically speed as well as uh, jumping ability. Now, as far as speed goes, Perry Nicholson does come in with the highest speed at 95, and he is followed closely behind by DJ Chark and Chris Claybrooks, who both have 94. CJ Henderson and DD Westbrook come in at 93 overall speed, and Chris Conley, uh, along with CJ Board, Josh Jones, Josiah Scott, and Leonard Fournette all with 92 overall speed. Now, Chris Conley also finds himself at the top of the list in terms of jumping ability at a 98, which, Jay, you pointed this out before we even got started, isn't surprising since he did set a combine record as far as his vertical leap. So what do you think first about the speed? Um, Perry Nicholson is a burner. We've talked about that, I believe, here. That's definitely not something that's well known, I think, in the league. So people that aren't fans of the Jags might be a little surprised by this. But what do you think about these uh, specific attributes for Jaguar players here on Madden? Yeah. So in terms of the jumping, like you said, me and you mentioned before we started taping or started recording that Chris Conley holds the record in terms of jumping ability in terms of the um, vertical jump at the combine. And DJ Chark is a guy that, you know, registered a pretty good i forgot the number exactly but he registered a pretty good vertical jump as well at the combine which is fitting why he got the 93 which is good for seconds so i mean that makes sense uh lavisca being up there in the top five makes sense with the 82 uh miles jack we all know he was a freak of nature at uh at ucla as well uh arguably i've said this in the past uh, i think he's the most versatile player i ever evaluated on film from playing running back to uh, he played cornerback against Nelson Aguilar one time. He played multiple linebacker positions. He was just all over the place. So that makes sense. Colin Johnson with the 90, that makes sense as well. So in terms of the speed, yes, Perry Nickerson 
is pretty fast. I don't know if you all uh, are available to be on a computer right now or on your smart devices, but if you would just please Google Perry Nickerson and his 40 time at the combine when he was coming out of Tulane and he ran so fast that he hurt his hamstring and couldn't, I don't think he ran the second 40, uh, but I think it was like a four, three, two or something like that, which is actually faster than DJ Chark. Uh, and that's why DJ Chark came slightly under him with a 94 in comparison to the 95. So that's a little backstory to that. Uh, DD Westbrook, we all know he was infamous because he didn't run his 40 at the combine. I think he ran it at his pro day. Uh, so I don't think it's like visual film evidence on that, but people all, I mean, make no mistake about it. People know that DD Westbrook is a burner. Uh, CJ Henderson is up there as well with a 93, same as uh, DD. Uh, we seen him run a four, four, I think it was a four, three, nine actually at the combine. So yeah, these are accurate in terms of the speed rating. You know, you can say what you want about the overall team rating and you, you can say what you want about the overall individual ratings, but it looks like they got the attribute stuff right in terms of the key attributes. But I guess, uh, you know, time will tell when we, we put all of these guys on the field virtually and uh, see how they perform and, and, and where they fare. Yeah, guys, so that's pretty much how the team breaks down in terms of Madden. Uh, I know we definitely have some gamers out there in the audience, so we wanted to cover that. But let's move on to some stories that are actually going to happen on the field, Jay, now. So teams are actually set to report to training camp, Jay, next week, next Tuesday, I believe. And that means we're getting that much closer to hopefully seeing football in the fall. So what we're going to cover is three training camp stories we feel may come out of, well, training camp. And we're going to just talk a little bit about that. So the first story here, Jay, is we're just going to talk about the tight ends and the wide receivers in general. So the receiving core as a whole. We talked about this last week when I brought up Josh Oliver and my belief that he is going to have a really, really good season. I think one of the main stories that should come out of training camp is how do the tight ends look? Because Gardner Minshew definitely heavily relied on his tight ends throughout the year, specifically in the beginning when he had a really good connection with James O'Shaughnessy. Now we got Tyler Eifert here, of course, coming over from the Cincinnati Bengals. You have Josh Oliver, who is essentially coming into a elongated rookie season because he really didn't get to play very much at all, along with rookie wide receivers, LaVisca Chenault, as well as Colin Johnson. So Jay, as far as those guys go, because we talked about this before we got started, the top three, as far as the receiving group is pretty much established. We have DJ Chark, DD Westbrook, Chris Connolly. Those are going to be the three guys. How is everybody else going to kind of fit into that rotation? What do they need to do to establish themselves early on in this very, very strange off season period where we're coming into a training camp that's not unlike any other we've had before? So, yeah, starting with the receivers. Yeah, you're right. You know, it's pretty consensus that at the top of the depth chart, it'll be probably DJ Chark at one, as you said, Chris Conley at two, then DD at the slot. So he'll be number three. You know, the big question is what happens behind them? How is the pecking order behind them? Uh, you know, Keelan Cole is uh, Keelan Cole is the veteran at this point. You know, he's been in the league, what, three, four years so a lot of people think he could be the number four, but at the same time, the Jacksonville Jaguars drafted LaVisca Chenault in the second round. That being said, I got Chenault as the number four receiver 
Then Keelan Cole coming in as number five. And Keelan Cole is a guy that, you know, a lot of people think he's going to be a bubble guy because the Jags added two receivers. One of them is Chenault, of course, and the other is Colin Johnson. However, I think what people are missing about Keelan Cole is the element that he can provide on special teams, too. And I can remember when he was a rookie, an undrafted rookie out of Kentucky Wesleyan, and how he made his name was in the preseason making tackles on the punt team. But over time, he's developed into a kick returner. So I think he had one like long kick return last year, as a matter of fact, for like 40 or 50 yards or whatever the case may be. So I think like while he may move down on the depth chart a little bit, I think like he could be a full time kick returner and uh, help the Jaguars in that category. And I, I think that would uh, basically help solidify his spot and keep him on the roster. And I don't think people should be counting him out despite adding the two rookies. So he'll be number five with Chanel at number four. And I got Colin Johnson making the list as uh, number six. And of course, you know, you got the other guys that are bubble guys who could probably make the squad as a practice squad. I mean, make the team as on the practice squad, should I say? But, uh, you know, we'll say that for another time. But, yeah, Colin Johnson, again, I think, like, to me, he kind of compares to, I've said this in the past, Alan Lazard. He's a guy that can help them tremendously in the red zone. Uh, and he's a guy that, of course, I don't think they would want to risk. They probably learned from the Alan Lazard situation, risk putting him on practice squad anyway. Um, and I think they got big plans for him. And, you know, they're going to like they will do with Chenault and like they have done with their receivers in the past, you know, put this young man in his hands or in uh, Keenan McCardell's hands and let Keenan develop them. Because as me and Phil have alluded to, you know, three of these receivers are going to be free agents next year. Chris Conley, Westbrook and Cole. So, you know, you almost kind of have to keep Colin Johnson if you're looking at it from that perspective. So that's how I see the receivers uh, pecking order going into training camp. Um, and I think that's how it'll go into the regular season. Of course, you know, the preseason uh, will help determine that and so on and so forth. Um, so that's where I'm at with the receivers in terms of the tight ends. You're right. Uh, the tight end, I think the tight end position is probably one of the most intriguing because it's so crucial to Gardner Mitchell's development. As we saw, you know, he he had success with the receivers, but without that big body tight end guy in the middle of the field, he struggled tremendously when James O'Shaughnessy was gone. So it's a matter of, you know, who steps up from this crew? Because, I mean, to be honest with you, the top three guys, you can rank them as 1A, 1B, and 1C. Because while Tyler Eifert is the veteran that's proven, he's the guy that, you know, you can't exactly trust to be on the field for, a lot of games. So there's injury concerns with him. James O'Shaughnessy, he's been healthy, but he's coming off an ACL tear. And we all know that stigma and, you know, how people feel about a player coming off an ACL tear. Uh, basically, the, the year after that year that they come off the ACL tear, they're not too productive. So there's a lot of question marks there. And then Josh Oliver, who's also coming off of injured reserve, but he's long been healthy. I think he said it in an interview with Jaguars.com that he was ready to return uh, in January, whatever the case may be. So you got Josh Oliver, you know, you, you got to see if he remains healthy. He doesn't really have an extensive history with injuries that I can recollect. Uh, don't quote me on that. Uh, but, you know, we got to see how he transitions because he really didn't really get to see the field a lot last year, whether it was practice or on the actual uh, on game day, on Sunday afternoons or Sunday nights or whatever the case may be. So he is a guy 
that, you know, we got to watch too, because if you all can recall before he tore his hamstring or he injured his hamstring in training camp, him and Gardner Minshew really were clicking. And it could have easily been him and Gardner Minshew that were, you know, that that buddy-buddy duo that we saw between him and O'Shaughnessy. It could have been those two in the regular season had Josh Oliver been healthy. But if you all can recall, Josh Oliver didn't make it into the uh, regular season healthy, although I believe they kept him on the team, but they didn't put him on IR. Uh, So that being said, you know, maybe they start off like they did red hot this year in training camp. That trickles into the preseason, whatever, however many games they have in the preseason, if the starters even see the field. And then that trickles into the regular season as well. So that's one of the connections to really watch, to be honest with you. It's more so Josh Oliver, which you have kind of alluded to in Gardner Minshew, over the veterans because the, the veterans guys have injury concerns. And um, Josh Oliver is a guy that really has a good bond with Gardner Minshew as well. So uh, that's where I'm at on the tight ends and the receiving side. Yeah, and this year more than ever, you know, of course, with everything that has gone on with such a strange off season and you know the, even this training camp is going to be different as well they're really going to rely on you know what they know which is why i think maybe hopefully o'shaughnessy you know is is healthy and coming back strong but like you said you know the year after their this injury you, you usually don't see a whole lot of production unless your name is adrian peterson and that guy doesn't even count because he's not human <laughs> but when you look at most guys they're not very productive coming off his injury so the tight ends I'm, I'm really going to be interested in to see how they are able to build this bond with with Gardner right because like we just said it, that, that was so important to his growth throughout the first year and I think it's going to continue to be a little bit of a safety net for him going forward um, the receivers I think are pretty much going to play out exactly how you how you said LaVisca Chanel you, you don't I don't think that you invest a second round pick into the guy and stick him at, you know, the fifth overall receiver or the fifth on the depth chart, I should say. And as we've mentioned here plenty of times, they're going to move that guy around all over the place. So um, we'll we'll definitely see what happens there as far as the receiving core as a whole. Um, Moving on to the next story here that could possibly come out of training camp, Jay. And that's the defense, specifically the linebacking core. Now, with all this talk about the team switching back and forth between a 4-3 and also a 3-4 in certain positions and certain situations, I should say, is it possible that the linebacking core, the 40 gang, as we like to refer them as, could become, you know, kind of the the strength of this defense? Of course, we've talked about the secondary, you know, obviously a new look secondary. You know, Jalen's gone. AJ is gone. You're really going to be depending on that youth. Uh, but as far as the linebacking core in general, you know, whether they line up in three, four or four, three, they really have the the potential to kind of be the, you know, the I guess the the rock of this defense. Right. Yeah. The crazy thing about the 40 gang or the linebacking core in general, and I actually did a depth chart prediction today, as I had been promising, I, pro- I finally got around to the depth chart predictions for the defense. But I did that today on the linebackers. And the thing that, like, dawned on me as I was writing the article was heading into the season, like, linebacker was a huge question mark. Linebacker was a question mark to the degree of Miles Jack didn't look all that good. uh, And he went on IR early in the season or, you know, like midway. Um, I forget exactly where it was, but 
He went on IR. Uh, he had just came off of the contract extension as well, where he was paid this astronomical amount of money. And you you could look around him and say like, oh, man, like it's so much uncertainty around him because, you know, Paz Lesney wasn't there anymore. And, uh, you know, it's another veteran that wasn't next to him as well that he had grown accustomed to seeing next to him. And that was, you know, a pro bowler at one point in time. So, you know, it was just Miles Jack and a bunch of youngsters, basically Quincy Williams, who didn't look all that good when he was called upon to start. Uh, you know, people had high expectations expectations of Quincy Williams but as we saw when you're a third round pick but you come from Murray State and you jump straight into the NFL that's a huge leap and it proved to be such a huge leap for Williams he just struggled mightily with it uh to the point where they benched him eventually so like you could argue linebacker was atop the list in terms of um you know the needs that this team had came come January you know when when the season was all over and I forgot exactly where I ranked it on the the team's list of needs in January I have to go back and look at that but it had to be top three top four or something like that but you know here we are uh and now it looks like a strength of the team they have added pieces to it they added a pricey investment and I and I guess you could say that Joe Schobert's contract is not that bad actually but you know in terms of if you were to put it in a tiers list you know, it's a big time contract in terms of a tiers list for free agency. So they added a pricey contract or a big time contract in Joe Schobert, who could prove to be a very, very good, valuable asset. And, and like Phil said, I think people are overlooking him. He does add better coverage to the middle as well. And he is good against the run. Uh, but I think, you know, like he's not necessarily Bobby Wagner, but a significant upgrade from what they had in the middle. Um, and that allows, as Phil has said, Miles Jack to move to a more natural position at the weak side where he can play more so without thinking and he can play more so off of instinct, which is what the weak side linebacker position is all about. It's playing off of instinct. So he's in a good position now. And really, you kill two birds and one stone by just by just signing Joe Schobert. And you also got a good leader in Joe Schobert as well. So, you know, you put Miles Jack in a position where he's more comfortable. You got a guy that's a former all pro and Joe Schobert did earn his all pro nod, not all pro, I'm sorry, but Pro Bowl. He got a Pro Bowl nod in 2017. I know a lot of people say, you know, Pro Bowls don't really mean much, but you can look at some players and say, hey, that person did earn their Pro Bowl nod that year. And Joe Schobert in 2017 was that guy. And then, you know, you got guys like Kalevon Chason, who they added to uh, this mix as well, a high draft pick, a first round draft pick. So not only did you get a high investment from free agency. You got a high draft pick and that you added a first round pick to this unit and make no mistake about it. It looks like Calevon will play some strong side linebacker, whether that's in, you know, a three, four or four, three, whatever the case may be. He's going to play some linebacker and, you know, on, you know, third downs or whatever the case may be, he'll probably put his hand in, in the dirt for three point stance and uh, play some defensive end as well. But, you know, Calevon can be counted as a linebacker as well. I mean, and I guess, you know, Josh Allen too, if you're going to use some 34 uh, concepts as well. So when you look at it from that perspective and the youth and the mix of first round picks, they got in that group, they got a lot of talent in that group. And this is a dangerous group. Like on paper, you know, teams on the opposite end might look at this group and say, that's where we need to be concerned about is that linebacking core. And um, I think, you know, we can see some good things out of them, especially when they get acclimated with each other. Right. If you're not 
excited about what this front seven can do, you you need to start getting uh, getting there because for all those reasons that Jay just mentioned, this group I think has a chance to excel. And hopefully, if you know the front office does everything that they're supposed to do, everything that we had hoped that they were doing already, but now hopefully they're trying to right that ship. This will be a group that's going to be together for a while between Josh Allen and Calevon and and uh, uh, Schobert and Miles Jack. You know, you definitely hope that these guys are able to, you know, come together and and become a very formidable um, group of guys. Right. That's definitely what you want. And I think there is a possibility that they're able to do that. So moving on to our final story out of training camp here, Jay, and we're we're each going to go with uh, one guy specifically, and that's who has the most to prove going into training camp. And I'll go first here. And for me, that answer is Gardner Minshew. And, you know, that may seem like the easy route to go, but the team has completely gone all in on him, right? They got rid of Nick Foles. He's not around anymore. So that Gardner's not looking over his shoulder. They, you know, brought in these pieces to help him be more successful. When you talk about LaVisca, you talk about Tyler Eifert, who is hopefully able to reclaim some of his former glory. And I think Gardner Minshew has to go out there and prove that he is above and beyond the best quarterback on the team, right? He's got to be better than Mike Glennon, and he's got to be better than Josh Dobbs. And not only does he have to be better than them, he has to be, I think, significantly better. Where you look, you go out there, you see them, uh, you see them taking reps, and you say, oh, that's the starting quarterback. Because there were times, right, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, but there were times when Blake Bortles and Chad Henney were out there and there was still doubt, right? There was still not that big of a gap. We need to know that at least going into the season, and I think we talked about this before we came on air, offense might take a little bit of time to catch up. And that happens every single year. But of course, because of the circumstances, that's going to be more prevalent than ever. But Gardner Minshew needs to go out there, establish himself as the guy and show, hey, this is why you made this investment. This is why you gave me the reins and I'm going to show you that I'm going to be the guy going forward. Yeah, I agree, man. Uh, You know, like pretty much you could say he's probably the number one topic of pretty much training camp. And the number one thing that people need to have their eye on is how he transitions. And, you know, now he's had, I guess, uh, you know, the offensive coordinator has been there since January. So he's had a pretty good while to study the playbook and so on and so forth. And there has been an emphasis on the classroom. So uh, more so than any year now, because they've, they've had, they haven't had a choice, you know, they've had to do things more so in the classroom virtually, of course, uh, they haven't been able to really be on the field like that aside from a few workouts that they've had together, but nothing, you know, they haven't had anything major or a major amount of time together. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see, how he fares. I think this year the potential is there to take a significant step. Uh, Again, he has more weapons around him. Um, And then, you know, it only helps if the defense on the opposite end as well, you know, kind of gel a little faster than we're hoping they will. Uh, But time will tell on that. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. So, yeah, I'll go into mine, which kind of connects with Gardner Minshew, and I've already kind of talked on it when we addressed the tight ends. But uh, the guy that I think has the most to prove is Josh Oliver. And, you know, he has to go out there and prove essentially that he's better than, you know, one of the – while Joe Schobert was the highest investment the Jazz made in free agency, Tyler Eifert was up there as well, although the contract is kind of friendly because of his injuries. 
Uh, but still, you know, he has to go out there and prove that he's better than the guy that the Jaguars put a decent amount of money into. A guy that also knows the system, of course. You know, he has the connection from Cincinnati. So, you know, he has to beat him in that perspective or at least match wits with him from that perspective. Uh, because make no mistake about it, Josh Oliver, of all these guys, is the future of the tight end position. The Jaguars drafted him third overall last year for a reason. When you draft, when you draft somebody in the top three rounds, you're drafting essentially with somebody that you think is a starter. So it's possible the Jags thought he was a starter last year, but of course, again, the hamstring injury happened in training camp, and then that kind of hindered him, and so on and so forth. So that being said, clearly, and I mean the Jaguars have, uh, from the things they've shown, and you know the things we've read and the things we've heard. The Jaguars do think highly of Josh Oliver, and we've seen it league-wide. Like, you need that guy at tight end to bring a different dynamic to your offense. And I think, you know, that was clearly missed by Gardner Minshew last year. We clearly saw that with uh, his struggles at times, you know, but he made do with what he had with the receivers and, and Leonard Fournette um, and, you know, ultimately won the Jags six games, which, you know, that's nothing to overlook in itself. So, uh, that being said, though, you know, him and Oliver, hopefully they can start connecting uh, early in training camp. And again, like I said, let that trickle into the regular season, because that could be a very dangerous duo within this offense that makes the Jaguars offense better than uh, we're thinking they might come out of the gate. And if they could get that connection down early, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars could exceed expectations, whatever they are from the nation or fans or just us in general. So that's going to be a key element to this. And I think Josh Oliver, uh, this is a big training camp for him, albeit it's his second year. And uh, he's essentially you could really treat this as his rookie year. But, you know, that's a lot on his shoulders, but we'll see if he can handle it. And if he can, I think it'll make the Jaguars better uh, heading into that first stretch of games, which, as we said, that's the easiest part of the schedule. Yeah, Jay, and you make a good point where you can basically treat this as his rookie year. He got in there very, very briefly, and I believe it was in a an interview he said that it was nice for him to get a feel for the game, at least get used to the speed, uh, because this is another thing we've talked about. There's no replacement for football, right? There's no way you can simulate that kind of environment. You just got to go out there and play. And the one of the reasons, even though I'm a big believer in Josh Oliver, obviously, and I've made that very clear, one of the things you know they're talking about is there may not be a preseason and preseason is just a great opportunity for guys like this, like Josh Oliver, like some of the later round picks, some guys that are coming off of injury. It's a good opportunity for them to, again, get acclimated to the speed of the game, get acclimated to, you know, how maybe how Gardner Minshew likes to do things, how he likes to call things in the huddle, all that kind of stuff comes into play. So hopefully they're able to get a lot of that down in training camp. So, I mean, because the, obviously their success is kind of tied together, right? More so Josh Oliver to Gardner Minshew, but because he was so comfortable throwing to the tight ends, it's only going to make Gardner more successful if he's able to create another connection with either Tyler Eifert or Josh Oliver or O'Shaughnessy, you know, if he is healthy. But I think both of those guys definitely have a lot to prove heading into training camp. But is there anybody else, Jay, that you just want to point out that maybe, you know, not necessarily has as big of a spotlight or, you know, do you think those are pretty much the the main two? Uh, Off the top of my head, Cam Robinson came to mind because he's on he's entering a contract season. And while I do think he'll win the competition because the Jaguars will ultimately want to see 
uh, what they have and the guy that they drafted second overall. Make no mistake about it. Will Richardson probably is more natural to the left tackle position than any position on the line. We all talked about his versatility, but that's probably where he's the most comfortable at. And he can give Cam Robinson a run for his money. So this is a big offseason for Cam Robinson, who, you know, we praise for his running or his run block ability. But, you know, he's just been sporadic in pass protection. And that's directly tied to Gardner Minshew. And that can affect Gardner Minshew. And, you know, it kind of just trickles down from there in terms of how the mechanics of our offense work. So this is a big uh, training camp for him too, uh, regardless as to, you know, if we have whatever amount of preseason games, zero or two or one or whatever the case may be, uh, he does need to make training camp at least count. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think they have a lot to prove. However, I am interested to see how quickly they're able to pick up everything and I'm referring to C.J. Henderson and Kalevon because they're going to be very heavily relied on. More so C.J. than Kalevon. Of course, you can rotate him in and out with uh, everybody else in the front seven. But C.J. specifically, and we talked about this when we discussed the schedule, he's going to be thrown into the fire pretty quickly. And he's going to he's got very, very lofty expectations. You know, he's a top 10 pick. Obviously, Madden feels like he's just as good as Jeffrey Okuda. Some people didn't feel that way going into the draft. You and I were a little skeptical about that pick at first. However, we have since, you know, come a little bit around on that pick, but he's a guy that I'm definitely interested to see. And he's going to be able to go up against some solid receivers, right? He's going to be able to go up against DJ Chark and DD Westbrook, Chris Conley. He's going to be able to go against, go up against really four guys that can do four different things, maybe even five if you throw Colin Johnson in there. So I think CJ Henderson has a really good opportunity to get his feet wet really quickly and also go up against some pretty good talent, right? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, LaVisca too is a guy that's going to test him, you know, while, you know, he has faced these elite receivers in the SEC, you know, LaVisca Chenault is a little different than what he's faced in the SEC. Um, And he's a guy that he's not familiar with just as well as like you said, Colin. So, Yeah, I agree with you, man. It's going to be interesting to see how he fares. And even, you know, after training camp, out of the gate, CJ's going to see T.Y. Hilton, Paris Campbell against uh, the Colts. And it's going to be some other, you know, he's going to get thrown into the furnace pretty fast when you look at this group of receivers that's on the regular season schedule. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a tough job for the rookie. But, you know, I know he's ready for the challenge. And uh, I know we're going to get maximum effort out of him. That's right, folks. So if you want to see football here in the fall, do your part, wear a mask. I guess we'll just leave it at that because I know I definitely want to be. I probably won't be able to go to any games, one because of the heat, but the other because, you know, just health wise, I can't risk it. But I would like to be able to at least watch it on TV. Jay, I don't know about you, but I'm getting pretty excited for the NBA playoffs about to start up. Um, I don't know if you saw here recently the they actually had no positive tests down there in the Orlando bubble, which is great. Um, of course, you can't really do that bubble setting with football, so it's going to take a lot more of a collaborative effort. But we're getting a little bit closer to some more live sports. I know NASCAR and some other thing, MLS, I believe, has been back for a little bit as well. So, But I really miss football, and I hope we get to see it come this fall. Yeah, I agree with you, man. We've, you know, this nation has been through so much. Uh, you know, we need what, and, and you know, sports is a luxury. 
for you know us and the world in general but this is a luxury that we we probably need right about now granted all we've been through and being cooped up in the house and and so on and so forth so it's it's good to see that we're trending in the right direction to get sports back and um like you said i can't wait man nba playoffs coming they've done a good job of you know eliminating the rona in their bubble and whatnot. So that's going to be exciting. And, uh, you know, it's looking like college football is looking a little iffy right now. So the NFL might be, uh, you know, the best of what we'll get out of football, period. So The only game in town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, that'll really put some pressure on the NFL's shoulders, man. But I, I think that the uh, NFL – uh, could have a good season, but uh, you know, only time will tell, man. I'm excited though. I'm just glad that sports are back, man. Absolutely, Jay. So that's it for this week's episode, you guys. Uh, only a couple of topics, but we filled up a whole hour, or, or just about an hour. Uh, so, Jay, let them know what they have to look forward to here on the podcast. We're working on some really exciting stuff, so talk about that, and also what's going on over at the Jaguars Wire. Yep. Uh, as I promised, as I had been promising in the weeks before, but never got to it. I finally got to, and I said this earlier in the podcast, to the depth chart previews for training camp for the defensive side. The offensive side has long been done. So all I think I have to do is uh, the secondary. And I'm deciding whether I'll split that up in the safeties and cornerback. But it's just one group left. Linebackers went up today. Feel free to check that out. Uh, did the interior defensive linemen, did the defensive ends. So that's all that remains in terms of that, and that'll be wrapped up for you all to get you ready for training camp. We'll probably do a written format of what me and Phil just went through, um, and that's the stories to watch heading into training camp. So we'll just translate this to uh, something for the Jazz Wire for you all to read if you want to do that. And, uh, yeah, man, many, many good things on the horizon for the Jaguars Wire and the Believe in Jags podcast. Um, we appreciate all of the support. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got, man. That's right, guys. As far as me, of course, you know, um, over there at the Wait For It podcast that I do with my co-host, Eric, who was on last week. If you are a paranormal fan, I have a really exciting episode coming out next week with a friend of mine uh, from the Baking a Murderer podcast. So if you are a fan of ghosts and spooky stuff, make sure you check out that episode next week. And of course, every Monday, Eric and I are dropping our weekly What Did I Miss episode where we talk about anything from the world of entertainment, sports, gaming, pretty much all of that that you may have missed. So we talk a lot of you know Marvel and um video games, all that kind of stuff. So if you're into that, make sure you check out my other podcast. But that's it for this week's episode, you guys. Again, if you're enjoying the show, head over and give us a five-star review like so many other people have uh, over on Apple Podcasts. We really, really appreciate it. Again, one of the best ways to support the show. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And of course, you can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. Again, the Twitter page for the podcast is Believe in Jags Pod. You can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F I L I P I N O, and Jay over at Sports Grind underscore Dawn. Thank you guys so much for joining us right here on the Believe in the Jaguars podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. We certainly believe. We hope you do too. We will see you guys next time. <laughs>